You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the coaching profession. Tune in for more episodes for anything coaching related in game, outside of the game, and anything in between. All right, on today's show, we have a very special group for our very first round table. Today's guests, we have Terry Head, Matt Monroe, Ron Weinmiller, Mike Winters, and Mike Ryan Gruber. We are going to give a little bit of a boys basketball preview show as the season kicks off tomorrow. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. So Todd and I wanted to kind of start off with uh, a kind of a hot topic we've asked many of our guests, and that's obviously the shot clock in Illinois. So Coach Monroe, we are going to give you the first jump off to talking about the shot clock. And then gentlemen, feel free to jump on in. Awesome. Well, first and foremost, thanks for having us on. We're really excited to be here and, and super pumped up for the season to start tomorrow. I appreciate you starting with me on the shot clock uh, question because uh, a couple summers ago, I served on a committee with Tyrone Slaughter and Mike Ellis and, and Pat Woods and a number of other guys trying to advocate for the shot clock coming to Illinois. And I, I really think it's time. Um, a lot of other states have adopted the shot clock recently, and we're hoping that Illinois will follow. I mean, my reasons for really wanting a shot clock, uh, I think it makes for a more exciting brand of basketball, and it could increase interest among fans and improve attendance at games. I also think it really helps with skill development for players, especially because they have to make quick decisions at the end of a shot clock. But I also think it really helps with creativity and coaching strategy, and it definitely makes for more exciting end-of-game situations. I, I, I hope we can kind of move away from the moments that many of us have been in where an opposing team maybe holds the ball for a, a minute and a half at the end of a quarter, end of a game. You know, and I know there's a lot of challenges with, with bringing the shot clock, um, but I, I believe there are also a lot of challenges with painting that three-point line on the ground in the 80s as well. And, and I'm hoping that we could find some creative solutions to, to bring the shot clock to Illinois. We're hoping at least in the next couple of years, our state will adopt it. At least that's how I feel about it. Anybody else? What do you, what do you guys, what do you yeah, think? Coach Winters, what do you think? You know, I agree, with, I agree with everything Matt said. I think it's time, first and foremost. Um, I don't think it's going to impact the game as much as a lot of people think. I think I don't think many of us hold the ball for 35 seconds anyways. So I, I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. I think where it does is, is strategy-wise end the quarters, you know, deciding if you're going to go two for one here and there and, and things like that, I think is um, is really where the impact is going to be on the game. So I think I think it'll help grow our players' basketball IQs just by going through those situations. And the other thing I think that, that Matt didn't mention is it just – it prepares them more for playing at the next level. You know, if kids want to play at that next level, um, you know, I think I think every place but here in the United States is better at that than we are. You know, they they play that way in Europe uh, because that's the way their professional leagues play. Um, I don't know why we don't do a better job of, of lining ours up. Uh, I'll chime in. I uh, when it first came to me about it, I talked to Rob Smith, and uh, I was against it, and I voted against it when we had the overall vote because I just like to leave tradition, you know, basically where it's at sometime. I like to leave, and I was thinking that it's going to change high school basketball. But then after Rob and I had a conversation on the phone, and he explained to me that it's going to be here to help our kids. Then I'm also an advocate for going to college and preparing for college. And when you think of it uh, from that standpoint, um, it is, it will be beneficial for our kids, you know, to learn how to play the shot clock, um, be prepared, um, 
and, and, and also, like you just said, uh, uh, Coach Wentz, is that the kids have to get prepared and know how to score at that last minute with like a second left, two seconds left. But at first, I did, initially, I didn't want it, but now um, I did resub, resubmit my vote and I uh, voted for it. And to go off what Coach had mentioned, we, we sent a survey out. I think that's the one you're referring to. And it was interesting to see uh, the results. It was something like 70% of head coaches in Illinois uh, were in support of bringing the shot clock. But when you broke the game or when you broke the vote down, you know, based on the boys game and the girls game, uh, small school and big school, it wasn't as overwhelming. Uh, large school boys voted very overwhelmingly in favor of the shot clock. Um, maybe the smaller schools, it was about 50-50. And in the girls' game, it was about 60-40 in favor of the shot clock. So it was kind of interesting to see uh, how it changed based on, on what level and, and what size of school and, and, uh, and all other factors included. Well, and, and on to that, so Coach Weinmiller, what, is, what are your kind of thoughts from downstate? Well, <clears throat> my big thing is uh, I, I think people think it's now we're all of a sudden we're going to play 85, 83 games if we have a shot clock. I don't think the scoring is going to really be that impacted like people believe. I still think if you're averaging 63 points, now you may average 67 or 68, but I don't think the, the, you're going to get this huge leap in scoring. Um, I think down here, you know, we deal with – we deal with some things that you guys probably don't. I mean, you're now you got to find an extra person to run it. A lot of places down here have got to install it. So th there's an additional cost that uh, I think that I think that makes some people hesitant toward it. Um, but but I think it's coming and I think we need it. Um, but I don't think it's going to greatly impact the game like a lot of people would lead you to believe when they when they start saying we're going to get a shot clock. Well, and I think Ryan, Ryan Gruber, you host a lot of a big exposure events for college. So I'm just curious from, from your vantage point, especially on the college aspect that Coach uh, Monroe and Winters brought up, kind of what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree. I think it helps. Uh, it's going to help um, prepare our kids and, and, and make, make them more prepared for, for the college level uh, when they ultimately get there. It's going to be a, a big cost for our school if we're running six quarters for all the summer events on all the courts but uh you know we'll figure that part out but uh um you know i'm looking forward to it you know i was actually i was on that committee uh with matt and tyrone and pat and mike ellis and all those guys uh, i was in the initial part of that and uh you know really excited uh to hopefully see that, that the shot clock come our way here in the, in the near future hopefully sooner than later I, I think one thing that that people don't talk about much is you know, you, you get you get some of these teams that, that really guard. I mean, I think of, you know, Matt in the Catholic League, like DePaul Prep or Loyola, and they tend to have some lower scores. And it's it's not necessarily because they want to play slow. It's because they grind you out so hard uh, defensively where you're holding the ball for so long, where it's going to actually, you know, help some of those teams, I believe, where you're going to end up taking crappier shots than you might want because uh, – because you got to get it off in 30, 35 seconds. So I, I think from that aspect, there's a misconception that some of these teams that, that seem to play slow, it's more because they grind you out defensively and I think it will work out to their advantage. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Before we go to the next question, I've always looked at it as the defensive end, right? I'm like, we can do a lot of cool, cool things defensively and a lot of creative things defensively to throw off that offensive rhythm. Uh, Want to move into... Uh, we're heading into a full season here. Um, 
and and I think this is a very interesting question because we have coaches from different locations. Um, but Coach Heavy, we want to start with you and, and just talk about um, going into the season and playing a full season, yet we still have some, uh, you know, COVID restrictions. And obviously the, the city's different than a, a different suburb district or, or down south or up north. So Coach Heavy, we want to kind of start with you and your kind of thoughts on playing this season and, and the COVID restrictions and, and just how, how, you know, we're going to flow here. Okay, uh, first before I uh, open up with my part, my, you know, on this comment, I just want to um, thank you guys for allowing me to come on. I want to also always thank my wife for letting me coach basketball these years. Um, my administration, man, for bringing me back into coaching, you know, Mr. Anderson, my principal, my athletic director. And then I always like to tell people, man, as a head coach, we don't do it by ourselves. You got to have a good staff. And I also want to thank my coaching staff because, man, without them, you know, we wouldn't have the success that we had. Um, and that's your question about COVID and basketball. Um, last year, I went, I'm going to go from last year. Last year, man, I was really, I was just, I was really depressed about coaching. I'm not depressed, but I was sad because I just felt like, yeah, I was happy the kids were playing, but it, it, I would have just rather just let them just sit it out because it was, it didn't mean anything. And I hate doing things that's meaningless. Now we to a point where we really can come out here and we back, you know what I mean? I'm so excited. Our kids are excited. School is excited. And, man, it's a good feeling, you know what I mean? Um, I, I was really proud of our guys, like, in the summertime, that some tournaments would have us wear, make, wear masks, and some didn't. But I was just happy that the kids – I was happy the kids can play because we really need them to be on the court and playing besides being in the streets. But, man, this COVID thing, I'm really just happy that – you know, in the city, they, they, they're allowing the kids to play. I think they're playing without masks. Um, they got to do the, some kids have got vaccinated and um, some kids have to just do a COVID test every week. But like I said, man, I'm, I'm excited, you know, just to be able to play and how the kids play. And, you know, that's, that's my take on it right now. Uh, Coach, Coach Weinmiller, what is, what is kind of the situation down by you and, and how's it going to look? down there for going into this year? Well, I, I really would like to see us have the kids on the floor, not wear masks. I mean, if you want to wear, if you want me to wear one and you want the um, guys on the bench to wear one, I think that's one thing, but uh, I don't think it's fair to ask these kids to play in a mask. I've, that's been my stance all along, even last year. Uh, and, and let's be honest, how many kids are wearing it properly? You know, it's a chin strap. So I went, not to pick on our volleyball, but you, you go supervise a volleyball game and no one's wearing it properly. So why continue with the charade? Just let them not wear it and let's just move forward and kind of move on. I mean, I, I feel like everybody's kind of over it, so to speak. And the people that have been vaccinated are, so let's, uh, let's move forward and at least let the five kids and or 10 kids and the three referees um, not have a mask on while they're playing. Coach Winters. I, I agree with everything Coach Weimar just said. I mean, the, the mask is, it's just, and it's not fair the referees have to enforce it either. I mean, there's just, it's just ridiculous for them to be able to have, for them to have to do that. I was at a playoff football game last night and it was, uh, it was Harlem and Lake Forest and it was a, it was a war. I mean, they were just beating each other up in each other's faces all night long. 
And at the end of the game, they couldn't shake hands because of COVID. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, what are we doing? Like these kids are in each other's faces playing football all night long, but they had to wave to each other across the field at the end of it. Um, a few of the kids ran across and hugged kids and congratulated. I was happy to see that, but it's, uh, you, you use the word charade. I mean, that's exactly what it is right now. And uh, it's not about vaccine, being vaccinated, not being vaccinated. It's just, if we're going to play, uh, you know, let's not sit here and pretend these masks are, are doing anything other than just being a nuisance for everybody. Coach Ron Goober. Agreed with everything uh, Mike and Ron just said, and Terry. Um, you know, I the mask thing. I, th I th you know, I think we probably agree with that. And I mean, nobody nobody's wearing it right. So what's what's the point? Um, I'm just gonna be happy to have fans back in the stands and energy in the crowd. Um, you know, the band playing, all that kind of stuff that that was just so weird. You know, playing with without last year, it just it didn't seem right. Um, but you know we're we're really looking forward to uh, to having a season where we can we can play in front of not only parents but you know student bodies and any other spectators that want to want to come. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, uh, before we get to Coach Monroe, I, I totally agree. We were at uh, Vider for our girls' sectional volleyball game, and it was I, I kind of looked over at AD and I said I, I missed. You know, it was a great atmosphere. We had a student section; it was it was packed. I missed that. You know, that's part of when you're coaching too. It's part of the, it's part of the atmosphere. Uh, Coach Monroe. Yeah, just um, I'm happy that we could do jump balls again. Uh, kind of going back to what Coach Winter said. You know, last year uh, we couldn't do jump balls, but we could dive on a loose ball and closely guard someone. And you know, it seems like outside of uh, the mass, we are pretty close to normal in terms of at least the adjustments made to the game. But like all these guys said, um, I, I you know I was putting together our schedule a couple of weeks ago, and it was just. Um, just this feeling of gratitude came over me when I was looking, oh, we get to play a Thanksgiving tournament again. We get to do our Meet the Wolf Pack uh, event with everybody there. Like all those things that we kind of took for granted a little bit uh, before it was taken away from us are, are coming back and hopefully keep things keep trending in the right direction so we can have as close to a, as normal of a season as possible. I think yeah. that means uh, Coach Monroe has a good uh, jump ball play. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was just tired of getting the <laughs> huddle error every single time we uploaded a film. <laughs> no, it means he has a really good team. <laughs> That's what that says. He got a really good team. Well, I think Coach Head led us perfectly into the next question. And I, I kind of, because you're all in different conferences, different areas, I think this is a great question for all of you um, to kind of specifically talk about, you know, dark horses or or maybe teams that aren't spoken about, whether it's in your conference slash your region, um, you know, maybe teams that that are usually very solid, but maybe don't get the pub that other teams get, or however you kind of want to take the quote unquote dark horse teams in your region. I, I want, I'm going to start out with Coach Winters out west, and and then we'll flow from there. Well, man, our our league is going to be as good as I think it's been in a long, long time. It's the depth is is really impressive. Um, Last year we played like a pseudo Nick 10 championship game just because we didn't have a regional. So it was, it was, it was us Harlem and, and East in that championship game. Uh, we have a lot returning East graduated a lot of that team, but they've got four or five transfers in. So uh, they reloaded uh, Auburn had a couple of kids. I think what's weird is, is we had a lot of kids sit out because of football. So in our, our season, you know, obviously being after football, being after basketball, we had a lot of kids in our league not play basketball because they were football first guys. So, that's going to be a, a it's going to have a big impact on a lot of teams. I think Hananiga was really young and really good last year. Belvedere North was was pretty solid last year and really young. 
Boylan is Boylan. I mean, they're always going to be really good. Um, uh, Rockford Guilford's got a really good young nucleus. They had a couple of kids, a freshman and sophomore, that were uh, special mention all-conference kids that are back. So, um, man, our league is, is uh, it's going to be a, a dogfight every night for us. Uh, I can and, and the worst part about our situation is, is probably different than you guys in the, in the city area. And, Ron, it might be more similar to yours down south, but – we're going to see them all in our regional too. I mean, it's going to be our, our regional is basically a conference tournament for us because we're considered, even though we're an hour away from you guys in, in the Rockford area, we're considered downstate. So we get that, uh, that localized regional versus true seating. So we just beat up on each other. We could have three twenty-one teams in the same regional in a lot of time. A lot, it happens a lot of years. So, um, you know, there's kind of a gauntlet there for us. Uh, the good news is a lot of times, once we get past that, whichever team gets past it, you know, our, our, uh, Sometimes our, our sectional, our super sectional path is not quite as tough. But, um, yeah, I think our league is going to be really, really solid from top to bottom this year. So I, I think if we're going to go from one solid league to the other, uh, Coach Monroe, you want to talk about the, the Chicago Catholic League? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> a battle every single night. I mean, we got we got 15 teams in our league, and, and, and every single one of them could beat you uh, on a given night. And I think – you know, one of the great things about our league is we have fantastic players and outstanding coaches, and you really have to be on your game every single day. And then looking at our non-conference schedule, uh, we feel uh, we, we've got a real uh, a good uh, schedule plan that, that will challenge us early on. You know, I, I think you look at our league and, you know, Leo is a team that, that maybe hasn't gotten a, a lot of press that I think is going to be really, really good. Uh, De La Salle is, is another one with Coach DeCesar coming in. And and then certainly you got a number of others. You got the stalwarts like Loyola Academy and DePaul Prep and, and St. Rita and, and a lot of other programs. I know I'm missing a few that, that are certainly outstanding. So we feel like uh, our league is going to be one of the top leagues in the area again. And hopefully um, we bring it every single night so we can take care of business. But, man, hats off to the, to the amazing coaches and players we got in the Catholic League. It's really too bad that Coach Monroe doesn't have any solid teams in his conference to play against. Um, let's go over to, uh, coach Ryan Gruber in the, um, largest conference on earth. Uh, take us through the Metro. Um, so the Metro, you know, we're, we're, you know, obviously unique situation being on our, on our division, being the only public school and, um, with a bunch of, uh, you know, smaller private schools for the most part, but I think our league is going to be pretty tough. I don't think it necessarily, um, always gets the recognition it deserves. I think, uh, we have some really good teams with some really good players and, and great coaches. Um, that'll be very solid. That return a lot from from last year, previous years. I know, uh, you know, Timothy Christian with uh, with Ben Vanderwall. You know, he'll be the best player in the league, and um, you know they are. Uh, you know, they're going to be pretty good. And uh, uh, Aurora Christian returns. You know, they three starters from that were three players that were starters when they were sophomores on a team that went downstate are all back <clears throat> now as seniors, excuse me. And St. Francis has a lot coming back. Wheaton Academy, I believe has all five starters coming back. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be, it's going to be tough from top to bottom. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're in the thick of things when, when things roll out at the end of the year, we, uh, you know, we have six guys that started, you know, games for us last year throughout the season and, our four leading returning Stoke scorers. So I like where we're at and uh, can't wait to lay some up uh, starting tomorrow. Locally, well, I would, go I would ahead, say coach. You know, for other uh, teams in our region and area, and obviously like we don't play in our league isn't really our region here, but I think, you know, some of the 
the teams that traditionally get a lot of the the pub um you know will be some of those same teams but i think a, a kind of a dark horse team locally to look out for is lions township i think they have a they have a ton coming back and uh saw them a bunch this summer and i, I think they're gonna be awfully good um you know they're led by a division one point guard and um, i think they're a team that's gonna surprise some people throughout the year here locally all right, so let's let's take the longer bus trips now. Let's go down and, and hear about uh, Benton High School, their region, their conference in the southern part. Yeah, just just in case people don't know, we're we're in a twelve team league uh, in two divisions. So our division is Benton, uh, Massac, uh, Heron, Harrisburg, West Frankfort, and um, Murfreesboro, and then Nashville, Peenyville, Duquoin. Anna, Sparta, and Carterville on the other side. So it's a really good 2A league. Uh, typically, if you can win our league, you're probably a favorite to to be a sectional finalist, you know, have a chance to play for the sectional. Uh, traditionally, three of those teams make up at least three-fourths of the sectional every year. Uh, I really like, you know, Nashville has a new coach. Uh, Brad Weathers' son, Patrick Weathers, is going to be the coach yeah. there. I really like the guys they bring back. They got a bunch of guys back from a team that got upset in the sectional final two years ago. Uh, of course, Coach Wagner does a great job at Peenyville. They'll be in the mix when it comes out. And then on our side, uh, we got three. I, I think our side's as good as it's been in a long time because uh, you, you've got a lot of guys there who bring back a lot of people. And, and that's what I, we go to. a thanks, I'm just like you guys. We go to a Thanksgiving tournament and we see people that I haven't seen in two years. I mean, I got to dig out the JV rosters from two years ago to try and figure out who guys got. So um, our, our league's really good. And uh, you have Joe Hosman, who's won more games than Naismith, I think. And uh, Daryl Murphy's won over 500 games. Randy Smith Peters at Harrisburg's won over 500 games. So it's a battle every night in our league. But if you had to pin me down to a favorite in the South, I, I'm going to, I'm going to put it on the Nashville Hornets right now. Well, and coach, I, I was doing some research earlier today. Did I see that Massac County High School is about 60 miles from you in the same conference? We are. They're, they're actually about five miles from Paducah. So they're just right across the border. Yeah, they're about 60 miles from us. Actually, uh, we've got this year and next year, and then we're going to the other side with Nashville and Peenyville. Uh, so we're, we're, our conference is kind of relocating. It's going to do some good things for us travel-wise, but – yeah, we got about a 60-mile bus trip, but that's not too bad in this part of the state. So don't have to worry about anything like construction or anything like that, like you guys do. Well, I can't say, uh, as we move on to, to Coach Head to finish off the city, I can't say, Coach Head, that you have any 60-mile bus rides, but the six miles might take 60 minutes. I, I'm going to tell you right now, it, it takes me 60 miles because I take my time trying to get to these gyms with the teams that we have to play in the conference. It's no easy game. I mean, we're, we're the weakest team in our conference. That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about, because you know, in the city, you got to, you don't want to drop. And I don't want to be a one-hit wonder. You can't count the COVID season. We just moved up. And uh, I'm going to tell you, man, you, Chicago went Chicago, Red, Northwest, where you have Orr, Marshall, North Lindale, Lane, Clark, Scherz, Lincoln Park, Farragut, Whitney Young, damn, Ooh, man, 
you it's no easy it's no break you know that's one thing i love about uh, about the public league you know uh and it's different being on the north side public league than being on the west side you know on the north side you can take that break or not a break but if we playing uh von steuben when i was up north and von is real good we might have we might have say uh Tav and Von Steuben. Tav Wednesday, Von Steuben on Friday. I could prepare everything for Von and just use Tav as, you know, maybe the practice game, you know. But you can't do that on the West Side. You can't do that on the West Side because, man, you're going to have to go to Marshall at Marshall. And them kids, man, they, they play, that's some piranhas in there. They play like, man, they play so hard in that gym. Then you got Farragut over there. I mean, you understand, man. It's like, and all the kids know each other. They know each other very well because they play ball, you know, and they play AAU basketball against each other. And they 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 jaw jacking and they playing real hard. But you know, Chicago Red West, man, I, I always say it's the best conference in in the state, man. I always argue that you got or high school, or it's five minutes away from us. I literally take an hour and a half to get there because I take my time. I tell the bus driver to go all the way around, go another way, because I I still, I'm still happy. I'm not sweating. I'm not all nervous and everything. When you get in the gym, you know, you got your towel, you're sweating, you're working hard. It's just, it's just tough games, man. Our conference is loaded, man. You know, or you, you know, I, I told Lou this himself. I said, Lou, you I don't count. Like you can't, you can't scout Lou in in November at Thanksgiving time, because you're probably gonna have a whole nother team come time you get ready to play him because all the transfers are gonna be eligible. Marshall gonna play hard. <laughs> Hey, now I'm gonna tell you, if you're going to play Lane, prepare to go up there, and it's gonna be a they're gonna have a band. They, you know, that school is huge, so they got a huge band. They got a whiteout day. I already know what Nick Nick gonna do. So it's just man, there's no easy Whitney Young. I, I ain't gotta say nothing. Shit, Whitney Young going to, Michelle Clark playing Whitney Young. I'm just like damn happy to even say be on and looking at some time on you know online. It's like Michelle Clark versus Whitney Young. Damn. When did Clark start playing young? So we got our hands full this, this season. But one thing I love about it, man, uh, my kids are up for it. Uh, and we up for it. We ready to go. We ready to go. So I wanted to move into, uh, uh, you know, how the game has grown and, and where we need to go with the game. I'm going to start with Coach Ryan Gruber. But um, so two-part question here. Uh, the greatest area of the game has grown in the last 10 years and then the greatest need of growth where we have to get here, we'll just use the next 10 years. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of the game is the same, but I think there are uh, some areas that, that have certainly grown. I think uh, in some ways it's become a more skilled game. Obviously you see, you know, your fours and fives that used to maybe not be quite as skilled on the perimeter have, uh, have become more skilled and, you know, with spacing the floor and being able to shoot it and handle it a little bit more. Um, you know, I don't know if that's a direct correlation to them, you know, all these kids now working with their different skill trainers and, and things like that, that we really didn't see 10 years ago. Um, but you know, it's, it's been a way kind of, we've played for a while. We, we traditionally don't have a, uh, um, you know, a six, seven, six, eight posts. So we've always kind of spread the floor and had guys playing, playing some of our inside positions. But I think that's one of the biggest ways the the game has grown in the last 10 years from a, from a skill development standpoint, from a, you know, from, from that standpoint, I think, um, one of the areas I, I 
I don't know if it's a concern, but I think that needs to grow is, you know, I, you know, I've known Matt forever. I've known Terry forever. Um, you know, we, we kind of came up together in a sense where we've got a lot of these young coaches that are, you know, going to clinics and, and, you know, just doing lots of things to develop, you know, help themselves develop the game. And I don't know that I see that much from the guys maybe just below us. Um, so I think that's definitely an area that needs to, to grow is, is that generation kind of behind us um, that's just starting here that uh, I think definitely needs to, to jump in on the, uh, you know, coaching development train. So. Coach, they got YouTube. That's their problem. You're looking at YouTube. Yep, yep. Coach Miller. Sorry, technologically challenged. Uh, the one big thing I see is kids, at least down here, kids don't play as much anymore. You know, if it's not facilitated by a coach or, you know, Mike talked about the skill trainer and stuff. Uh, we, we have a ton of that with baseball where everybody's everybody's playing 85 baseball games in the summer and playing fall leagues and summer and sp spring and and it just seems like basketball is the winner and, and, and guys don't don't play when you don't get them in the gym. And um, so that's one thing I, that concerns me a little bit. I, I, I think, you know, I remember you get with your buddies and have a three on three tournament when I was a kid. You don't you don't see guys doing that anymore. Um, the, and the thing that I think that we could do a better job of is I, I just really, really worry about. Uh, the, just like what Mike said, the longevity of guys, you don't see the guy who goes and stays at the little high school for 30 years anymore. Um, seems like parents have gotten a little more um, control, maybe it's lack of a better term or social media or whatever it is. But you see that guy who jumps to being a principal a lot faster than he used to. And, uh, and it doesn't seem like guys want to want to do this for as many years as, as what they used to in the past. I do, I do want to hit on this, and I'm going to turn it over to Matt, because Matt and I were at the IBCA Hall of Fame meeting, and Matt, you actually said that when they were talking about some things, about just our generation maybe not coaching as long, um, you know, as others, and, and I thought you spoke very well on it. Um, so as we t turn into that, I, I just wanted to, to bring that up, because I thought you spoke so well on that topic that, that Ron brings up about you know, maybe coaches not coaching as long as they used to. Yeah, we did a, a survey. So Ron and I are, um, and Mike and, and a lot of others, I mean, everyone here at really uh, is very involved with the IBCA, but Ron and I are also involved with the National High School Coaches Association. And uh, that's a big topic that comes up every year. It's not just an Illinois issue. It's a, a, a whole country issue. And I think when you look at it, um, probably about 10, 15 years ago, the average life cycle of a coach at a school was something around seven to 10 years. Um, and in some cases, you know, 30 years, you'd be at the same place uh, your entire career. Nowadays, they did a recent survey and that life cycle is about three to five years. So almost half, um, a little bit less than half actually. And we've talked about a lot of reasons why that is. Why is there a lack of longevity? Uh, certainly, you know, uh, all the pressures that, that entail uh, coaching from parents, um, you know, from people that just, you know, are questioning you all the time and, and not necessarily supporting you to so that instant gratification culture that everybody wants to subscribe to so much. But I think it's much more nuanced than just those pressures. I also think it's in the preparation. So kind of going along to what Coach Ryan Gruber said, 
I think sometimes a lot of guys like us growing up, uh, we coached every team we could. Uh, we have mentors that really looked out for us. We, we go to clinics all over the place. We're always researching the game. And we also paid our dues uh, being assistants for a long time before becoming head coaches. So I think sometimes in the preparation, either guys get jobs too quickly. Um, guys don't kind of go through all the, all the steps that maybe some older generations did. And then also the lack of mentors for younger coaches. Um, you know, I've, I've been very blessed. I probably could name about seven or eight guys right now that have served as mentors to me. And they're people that are invested in me, but aren't there with me at practice every single day. So they can kind of take a little bit of an outside perspective when I bring issues or questions, or I just need feedback from. And some of those things have been invaluable. So we're looking at from a coaches organization, trying to find ways where we can help coaches not just excel at their jobs, but to excel them for a longer period of time. Uh, we're working on a program called Coach Assist, uh, and we're trying to do a lot of other things to, to advocate for coaches, but also to give them the tools they need uh, to, to stick with those jobs long term. And so hopefully that's something that we can see, you know, a change in, in this game in the future, because I think, uh, you know, those coaches that Coach Ryan Weinmiller mentioned uh, in his conference, the guys that, you know, have 500 wins and have been at their school forever, um, that's a really special thing. Uh, it doesn't just uh, bode well for the school to have that consistency, but it connects generations of people within a community. And it's something that, that hopefully we can preserve and, and have more and more people uh, have that longevity in the future. Uh, I'm going to jump here to Coach Winters because uh, Coach Winters in our, in our podcast, when we talked to you, we talked about this same kind of thing a little bit. So I wanted to uh, jump in with you and have you talk about it. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, what Matt just said about having mentors and things like that. That was the whole motivation for me for writing the book, The Journey, um, just to be able to, to you know, educate coaches about some of them. A lot of them just don't know what they're getting in for these days. I think it's tougher because, you know, when we were younger coming up, you know, AAU was it was it was there, but it was more for the elite player. And, it, and now it's for everybody and everybody's got money invested. So emotionally, you know, people are tied to their money. So these parents have they've got this money invested in their kids and uh, now they expect that, you know, you said that instant gratification, they've, they've got these demands where uh, it's not just a game anymore, it's an investment. And that's putting a lot of pressure on young coaches. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's a really big part of it. You know, as far as getting back to the original question where the game has grown in the last 10 years, I think 10 years ago, I think if we had a shooter, it was, a, I think shooting was just really bad 10 years ago, you know, and, and now all of a sudden it's trendy. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's in to, to shoot threes and, and be a good shooter and develop. And I think shooting machines have helped. Um, I know from a coaching standpoint, I, I have kids that come in way more skilled in some areas and really lacking in other areas. And I think that's a, that's a, uh, that's kind of a byproduct of all the, the trainers and, and high level training stuff. You know, they're, they're wanting, they're wanting to be able to put clips on social media of these kids doing these high level things. And that's just kind of what they jump to. And sometimes <laughs> you skip over some basic fundamentals. So I think my job is to fill in the holes now, fill in the gaps a little bit. And it makes sense. I get why they do it. They want, you know, they want parents looking at it and say, Oh man, I want my kid doing that. Um, but then you get a kid that struggles with just basic footwork as a freshman on a left-handed layup and things. So um, it's not better or worse. It's just different for me. You know, I just have to be more observant of, of where the holes are and fill them in where I used to be able to assume that if a kid got to me at the varsity level, you know, they had, you know, X, these skills and, and things like that. And they don't always at this point, you know, they have some really high level stuff that they are capable of doing. Go Chad. Hey, um, I'm going I'm to talk on, I want to touch on two things that I heard you guys uh, say, um, like how the game has grown. And again, I just think everybody's playing basketball right now. You know, and like you said, you know, like Mike said, everybody's playing basketball. 
And then you got all these trainers. This has this how the game is is bad. You got a million trainers, and nobody's teaching basic triple threat right hand layup. Just fundamental. They the kids come in, they don't have any knowledge of basketball, but they can do a Euro step. They can do a behind the back world spin between the legs, reverse layup, finger roll. But if you ask them to make a regular layup or a jump stop, they don't know how to do it. Um, but I think uh, we can change that with, uh, you know, with the older guys. You know, um, I really believe in just, man, sticking to tradition, sticking to what we know, teaching what we know and teaching us to our kids. And then they'll, you know, I always say you got to do one kid at a time and then you'll spread up. You look up, you got 20, 25 kids that can do what you teach. Uh, real quick, I want to touch on this too. Game, I think the, uh, the game, how would you get the game changed? I think we need to change the rules on some of the things that the state is doing um, for, I think the state has like an overall blanket over basketball or other sports. You know, I, I know for myself and Michelle Clark, it's important for my kids to play basketball because that's what they love. And I tell everybody, if they, if they love tennis, if they would have loved swimming, if they would love hockey, that's what I would be coaching. But in the city it's basketball. Um, um, Mike, I'm going to touch on some of the reason why our kids not playing basketball in the city, they're going to get shot and killed. So I literally, I literally need to have my kids in the gym. It's very important for my kids on the west side of Chicago to be in my gym because I know they're safe. I know they're going to be okay. Um, we literally, my wife literally will go, she knows season starting up. She knows basketball practice about to start. She didn't do it this week, but I know next week she's going to say, okay, babe, what do the kids need? Because we don't let them go to the corner store to get stuff. We buy Gatorade, water, chips, and all that stuff. So they once they get to school in the, in, the, in the building, we keep them there. They eat lunch there. They eat dinner there. We have snacks. We practice, and we send them home. But this is my thing. Man, we get, to have, we get 25 contact days. That's not enough. You know, it's different downstate. Man, I mean, literally, if you, if I don't know if you follow me, we had a young lady get shot and killed just the uh, just two weeks, to, uh, a month ago. That was our second kid getting shot at Michelle Clark. During the COVID, man, one of my best players, Darius Perriman, his dad got shot and killed. His brother got shot and killed 10 days later. Then his grandfather got shot and killed. That kid traumatized. So what's their safe place? What's their safe haven? Man, I know Coach Head going to, have us in the gym. And that's what I'm, I'm, I want to be, I wish we could come up, you know, uh, uh, a run I think is different downstate than it is in Chicago, you know, and I just think that's how we could help the game change. You know, we need to get, we need to make, make things uh, accessible for kids. We all coaching kids and work for kids, but Mike, you know it, man, we're not that far from your Riverside. You know, I, I really feel like, man, I want to run my program like a community center where I know my kids going to be in the gym every day. And I'm at the school every day and they're in the gym every day. And we're in there till eight o'clock at night. I know one thing, my kids in the gym with me, man, they're not getting shot and killed. They're not selling no drugs. They're not tooting no, doing no drugs and none of that. Getting girls pregnant. See, that's what we got to deal with. We got to deal with everything in the city. And you got to make sure you, and you know, we got to deal with all that. And then you still got to coach your kids, have this, make sure they have discipline. And we got to make sure they get educated and get them in college.
you know, and then hell, even in college, I still we still got hate. Did you do your did you get your fast done? Did you call Miss Head and ask to make sure your fast was done for the following year? That's that's the thing. I think it's two different worlds in basketball. I don't think people understand what we deal with in the city. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't know what y'all deal with downstate, but I think we need to cross-reference and get on the same page so we all could be doing the same thing for the kids. You know, I've, I've had a chance to talk to Coach Ed. I've talked to, you know, since the book has come out, I've, I've done some podcasts with people in California. I, I went down to Georgia for a speaking engagement, and I'm amazed at how many states I've come across that don't have those restrictions. They don't, you know, I ask them how many contact days you get in the offseason, and they laugh. It's just wide open for them to do what they need to do. Now, each school can choose to regulate it, but that would be something that, you know, for your situation, obviously, you could have the kids in the gym more, and it would just make a lot of sense for you guys. We, we, we. We, you know, I don't want to go, uh, I'm, I don't want to say publicly what happened to me this year with coaching my guys, but I made sure I had kept, I kept my record of my contact days. You know what I mean? Because I want to make sure I'm always following the rules. But sometimes I really want to say, damn, the rules, they not made for us. You know what I mean? It's more important. And you, you understand, I, okay, I, I got, I got, uh, I got, Two, two boys, two brothers on my team. We got done playing at the end of July. Our last term, that following week, we didn't have nothing to do, you know? And my, the dad was like, hey, coach, what they, where the guys going, what they doing? Man, can you please get these guys back in the gym? They hanging out. He said, man, they, they sneaking out the house. I can't smack them upside their head. They 6'4", 6'5", 250. I'm their father, you know? So I'm like, damn, T, if, 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 We'd have had our guys working out. You know what I mean? If we'd have had our guys working out, they're going to be too tired. They're going to hang out. And that's that's the thing that we're dealing with. And I'm trying to figure it out. I always say, I wish I was a millionaire. I wish I had, man, a gazillion dollars. And just, man, build a home or a house for kids where I know they having issues or we can keep them safe, man, where we can keep them with us. You know, I'm going to be honest with you, man, half the time, some of the parents don't even want their kids at home. And we're dealing with that. This is no lie. I'm, I'm dealing with that right now in my program where I have to call kids on the Sunday. Hey, man, did you eat? Are you okay? Make sure you have your buddy at school on time because we have breakfast in the morning. You know, my wife, man, she does a lot. She'll buy. We're literally, you know, I got two refrigerators in my in my office. We got a with, with cereal, milk, and fruit. Then at school, we got water and get. I mean, we got to have that. Because man, half our kids be hungry, and this, and you would think, man, in, in two thousand and in, in this time, it, it'll change, but it's worse. It's literally worse, you know. So that's why I think we need to have a, 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 a different change, a different mindset. I think that the state needs to understand what go on down downstate, don't go on in the city, and then we need to understand what go on in the city not going down, what's not, not going on downstate. And I bet you if I had five more public school coaches on the line, they'll tell you the same thing. You know, that's that's what I, th I don't think the rules, the contacts, you know, I think they need to let these kids, man, do what they love to do. This kid can, if playing basketball or playing football, or playing baseball, is going to save their life. Let the coaches that want to do it, do it. I, I think without, but, without but, penalty. Before we move on, Coach Head, I, I just, before I, Todd goes on to the next topic, you know, I think Todd and I can both speak from that. 
to, uh, you know, Todd works in Bellwood and I work in Maywood and Melrose Park, but then we both coach at a Catholic school. So I think just in our everyday lives, Todd and I see the dichotomy of, I go from Maywood to, to resurrection and it's completely different atmosphere. Different it's completely worlds. different worlds. It's, different worlds I go from free breakfast and free lunch just so they can get fed to, to coaching basketball. So I, I think that was well said. I, and I just wanted to reference that before Todd moved on there. Yeah, and okay. I, I, I totally agree too. it. No matter where you are, your kids have, have different needs and we all have to help to try to try to meet the needs of our kids, no matter oh, where we are, no matter I'm every, every place is different. Every situation is different. So I'm, I, I, I wanna co- try, I'm sorry, coach. I'm going to add go, this. go ahead, coach. Go ahead. Uh, what, what, what we're doing right now. Um, I'm, I don't know if Mike does it or you got, I'm pretty sure Matt do it. You know, I'm not sure, but I'm trying to have my parents help me out. I, I got like five parents. For like 30 kids that actually just gonna support. Not not they trying the parents is working, you know, or they they busy. We trying to come up with the, you know, I always see like uh the suburban teams or the cap school teams. I know their guys don't go home. Like when I was at Weber, you know, I played for uh Johnny Bunk, you know, we would have the parents come in and they'll have food, you know, like a little snack and everything and in the kid. Cause I, I know one thing, I don't want my kids, my biggest fear is like. We have a, 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 we get out of school on Fridays, we got a half a day, we got at two o'clock. And then we don't play until 6.30. And you got to make up that whole four or five hours, you know what I mean? And I'm like, no, nah, you can't go home. I don't want you to go home. I want you to walk to the store. So we try to, we have to have food, you know, food and stuff for them to do just to keep them busy, keep them occupied. So that's what I'm learning to do, even at this stage. And the years I've been coaching basketball, still trying to be creative and make sure our kids get what they need. So I think that kind of leads us into the next question. We're going to start with Coach Weinmiller. Uh, your message to the team as you begin the season, it could be basketball-wise, but I think a lot of us even more talk about non-basketball-wise. What are you guys going into the season trying to get across to your team? It could be either way, basketball or, or non-basketball. Well, we're talking about a lot of non-basketball stuff right now because we won our football game yesterday and 11 of my 15 guys are still playing football. So we're uh, we're a little shorthanded here. And, 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 you know, I think the we had a parents meeting today with with our play with our team. And, um, you know, I, I, I told them, I said, those are my guys, whether they're playing football or baseball or or tiddlywinks, it doesn't matter. They're, I want to see them be successful. And whenever they get get done playing we'll we'll have them so uh the the big things with our guys is you know we're a school of about 550 kids we're a public school um our golf team got second in the state this year in the fall cross-country team got sixth uh yesterday our football team's playing in the quarterfinals this week so our big thing is just going to be continue to build on the success from the fall because it's all the same kids you know we don't we don't have many one sport guys at, at benton and and we like it that way because just what Coach Head was talking about, um, you know, everybody's got their got their issues they have to deal with. But uh, our guys are taking care of it by by just playing multiple sports and and keeping themselves occupied. So our big thing is going to be just kind of continue on what we've already started. Let's jump over to Coach Monroe. Yeah, I think uh, there's a few messages that you know we're trying to promote going into the season. We we feel. Like we got a really nice opportunity ahead of us um, this year. We've spent a lot of time building our program up and we feel like uh, we can really capitalize on it this year. Like we've been able to the last couple of years. So, 
the first thing that uh, we're really going to talk about is even if we get off to a strong start or, you know, uh, start really well, I, I think one of the main things we got to keep in mind is we can never adopt the mindset that we've arrived. We always got to feel that we need to continue to evolve and get better. We got to keep working. We got to stay hungry. And I think if we think that we've arrived, um, that's when our team may be underperformed. So, you know, making sure that we stay motivated, even if we start the season off really strong. I think the second thing that's really important for us is to love it all. Uh, we didn't get to have a real season last year. And I think we need to make sure that we never forget how lucky we are to be able to do this again, to be able to have a full season. So we need to love it all. We need to love the great experiences, uh, the highs. We need to make sure that we also love the tough moments too, because those are all moments that we get to share together that we didn't necessarily have last year. And at the end of the day, I, I think the third thing that we're going to continuously emphasize is making sure that everyone's a star in their role and they do everything they can to help the team. Um, at the end of the day, you know, certainly playing time, uh, roles and, and press, that's all important to guys. Uh, they're kids. We, we can't ignore the fact that, you know, that certainly does mean something to them. But the memories that they gain and the experiences that they share and the lessons that they learn from the season far outweigh any of those other things. In 20 years, they're going to remember most the connections they made with their friends, those relationships they developed, and also the incredible memories that they had to uh, get out of the season. So just kind of keeping the big picture in mind, I think is really important for us as well going into this season. Coach Ed, you talked uh, uh, so uh, awesome about your, your off the court, maybe maybe talk about your message uh, coming in this season, starting practice tomorrow of, of your on the court, on the court message to your guys. Sure. Um, uh, it's been real. It's been a, a buildup for us. Um, we we changed the light, a lot of how we break our huddle, like we uh, break down. Um, and I just got our kids saying, basically, man, we all we got. You know, one of our captain will say, we all we got. And the kids say, we all we need. And then he'll say, so says one, so says all. So this year, we're really talking about family. You know, I don't want people to just say family. I want you to show it by your leadership. You know, from the, from the best player to the kid that's not as good. I want everybody speaking and talking as one unit. And uh, I've been also telling them, man, Man, play like it's your last game. You know, play like this your last game and care about it. You know, act, when you're in school, act like you're not going to be able to read. Like, act like you can't read no more. Read as hard as you can. You want to be aggressive with everything you do. Because, and I told him, I said, man, basketball is life. If your life jacked up, your game going to be messed up. And that's how we got to look at it. So that's what we've been talking about these last couple of weeks, you know, um, just being a family, but really mean it. Care about your teammate. Care about, you know, our craft. Care about your craft. Care about what we're doing, you know. Um, we always talk about a brand. I always tell them about, hey, guys, you know, when you, when you go about a Nike shirt, you expect for it to be a certain way. So when you put that Clark uniform on, you put them Clark shoes on, you put this Clark stuff on, that's our brand. Make sure you represent the brand like it should be. So that's what we've been doing. It's like a lot of team uh, focus, you know, if you see you see your teammate, man, in the hallway and he moving late to class, man, get him to class, you know, just trying to take care of each other, be, be, a, be, a, be, a, be a brother's keeper. That's what, man, that's what we're really talking about on the court with basketball. Coach Winters? 
So I think for us, we're I'm in year five at Harlem now. We took over Harlem. We were kind of the doormat of the conference. We were, we were bad for a really long time. And, and now we're in a position where, you know, we're going to be picked in the top three just about every year. And uh, try not to take that for granted and just remembering what it's taken to get to that level. And I think right now for us, it's like our freshmen are coming in just thinking this is the way it is at Harlem. And, you know, our seniors know better because they were there when it was still pretty bad at the beginning of it. So it's just to not to take that for granted. We're talking a lot about just how connected we are, you know, how many touches we're getting, whether that be high fives, fist bumps, whatever, um, eye contact, saying each other's name a lot uh, in our communication, um, just kind of doing all those little things so that, uh, you know, it's easier to, to kind of carry through on the nights when things aren't going our way and, and being able to play through tough times. And I think the more connected and engaged you are with one another, the more it, it's easier to push through those tough times and, and feel like you're supported and all that stuff. And, um, really, really talking to our guys a lot about projecting energy outward. And you know, we just finished five weeks of preseason conditioning and we, we kill our guys. We work them really hard. And, you know, that's the perfect time really to get them to stop thinking about themselves when they're hurting and they're tired and start looking at the guy next to them and, and helping that guy pull through. And, you know, when you do that, it kind of takes some of the sting off of your, yourself when you're hurting a little bit. And, and uh, just really being unselfish in terms of, of what you give and what you project outwards and, and the energy level that you bring to the table. I think if, if you get a if you get a team full of guys, you know, not everybody's going to be, be on their A game in terms of energy and leadership every single day, but the more guys you can develop, um, the more you can cover for those days when you're, you're, you know, your top two or three leaders are struggling and uh, you're going to have days like that. Coach Ryan Gruber. Yeah. I mean, I echo a lot of uh, the same stuff here. So I don't want to sound like a broken record, but like a lot of our guys um, in our few, you know, been together since fourth, feeder program some of them maybe play even on the fourth grade team as third graders so you know our current seniors this is their last hurrah together you know it's um there's about seven or eight of them and uh and i think six of them have been together since fourth grade and you know obviously that chemistry shows on the court but um you know we also have a lot of depth we had a junior class we we're trying to mesh together that was 13 and one last year as sophomores and i guarantee at uh you know our first team meeting after we have tryouts tomorrow uh you know, I'm going to ask who thinks they should be starters and I'll hide eight and nine hands go up, you know? So like, um, it's a matter of getting those guys to, to, you know, accept their roles. And, and, you know, we've, we've played you know, some games in the summer and fall and whatever to, to help, uh, you know, start establishing those roles. But now that we're coming together officially, uh, this week, it's a lot of, it's going to be, uh, you know, establishing those roles and, guys uh you know figuring out where they're going to be and what it's what's going to take uh for them like matt said to be a star in their role to to help us be successful and uh you know a lot of it is just we really harp the the small things you know i think terry kind of mentioned that a little bit or mike um also like just making sure you do everything right in school out of school you know touching every line you know just all the little things that add up that um you know i, I think we've established a, a really good culture in regards to, to that stuff and just got to keep reiterating it and uh and making sure that that the little things um you know that they're doing the little things which add up to to, to ultimately hopefully add up to success um you know, Matt had also mentioned, you know, now that, you know, he's done a great job building his program and getting it to a spot where, uh, you know, they're more likely going to be really good every single year. And uh, um, now, you know, instead of being that, that you know, that team that's that's looking up at, at others and, and trying to knock some people off, they're the ones that are, you know, people are gunning for. And, you know, in, in our league, we've, uh, 
we've been that team for a number of years. We'd, you know, we've been everybody's Super Bowl in, in our league for, for a while now with the success that we've had and a matter of just getting our guys to realize that they've got to be up every single night ready to go and we're going to get everybody's best shot that, uh, you know, just trying to, to build that in them as well. You know, last year was just such a weird year in, in, in so many aspects, as we know. I feel like we almost lost a year of that culture stuff in a sense that uh, that we got to kind of, I wouldn't say reestablish, but but get back to where it was. So before we move on to our quick hitters, we, we just wanted to hit a little bit on recruiting, um, you know, and kind of the landscape of recruiting, the landscape of recruiting with COVID. Um, now that COVID's kind of ending, um, Coach Ed, we're going to start with you, obviously, but you know, we, we kind of want to just hit on everything that has to do uh, with recruiting and getting your guys recruited. Um, what I want to talk about the recruiting aspect of it, man, it's, it's hard right now. It's because the NCAA, it's like they just, it's, to me, they made like a free fall. You know, you got uh, the, the portal and then you got... Uh, when kids transfer, they're eligible to play right away. And then even with COVID, allowing all other kids, allowing the kids, and I'm, I mean, that's, I understand that, you know, but you, they're allowing all other kids to keep their extra year. So they, last year was just a wasted year, but they get to keep that year. So what that did was hurt all of the seniors that I, I have seven seniors that I got to get in school. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I've been working on it now, just like getting videos out, um, sending emails out making calls, um, sending the schedule out, letting them know where we're going to be, um, sending some AAU stuff out, you know, certain kids. So it's, to me, I think it's going to be difficult, but I know one thing is not going to be hard. We're going to get all our kids in school somewhere for free. That's been always my goal from day one, and that's what we're going to do. Um, I, I'm just worried about, man, getting all, I mean, getting, like we got six, nine kids with a 4.2 GPA. I know if it's been regular times, I know he'd have been gone already. But college coaches have so many choices now, you know, with the COVID year, the portal, prep school, and junior college is putting high school kids way in the back. But, you know, I, with relationships and, you know, I got some kids that can play. I'm not worried about getting them in. I know they'll get somewhere. It's a school for them. I always tell our kids, it's a school for you. We just got to find them. And once we find it, you make sure you take care of your business to stay there. So that's it. Coach Weinmiller, uh, talk about recruiting uh, with downstate players. Uh, yeah, I think just what Coach Hale was saying, you know, the the high, the high college coaches, I think unless you're talking about some high-level elite guys, uh, they're, they're going to that portal because they're trying to keep their job. You know, they, they're trying to make sure they continue to – continue to uh, stay employed. So some of those guys are, are opting for that. Uh, the 21, 22 year old grad transfer more than the high school guy. So it, it gets really tough to, we had a kid here last year that uh, was a really, really good player. He was a first team all stater and um, man, he, he was a 5.0 kid and he had to end up walking on because just nothing really fit him because he kept hearing, um, you know, we don't know who's coming back yet. And so he pulled the trigger and, and took an academic route. And um, I think you're going to see a lot of kids that can do that, opt for that, just because of the, the uncertainty of, of what guys are really looking for. 
Coach Monroe, I know you do a lot with <clears throat> trying to set up events throughout the state um, for recruiting. So maybe talk a little bit about just recruiting in general in Illinois, but then obviously for, you know, your own guys. Yeah, I think, um, I think with COVID, like these guys I mentioned with COVID, uh, the transfer portal and another number of other issues, I think recruiting has been uh, especially difficult on the classes of 2021 and 2022. Hopefully as things kind of get back to normal, uh, that will cycle through, but kind of like what coach Reingruber said, you know, a number of guys that we've talked to, um, who are in positions where maybe they don't have great job security are looking to have older players transfer in. And so that certainly hurts in many different ways, you know, those kids that are in high school. Um, the class of 2022 has to deal with that transfer portal and they have to deal with uh, the fact that their entire lead up to their junior year and within their junior year, they didn't get a chance to play in front of college coaches. Thankfully, um, we've added some recruiting events across the country in recent years. Um, our June Scholastic events uh, that the NCAA sponsors where high school teams uh, and players can participate in the month of June, I think helps a lot. Uh, if you look at the events like Mike Reingruber runs one every single year, um, there's tons of kids that uh, end up leaving those tournaments and those shootouts with college offers that maybe wouldn't have had the opportunity to, to get them before. I know uh, up in Coach Winter's area, there's a, a big one in Rockford, for example. What's nice in Illinois is we have more events that serve more kids than any other state. Uh, most states usually have one or two events at most. Uh, if not, they're partnering with other states. And a lot of those June Scholastic events that they're hosting are simply showcase games or all-star games where only the top 50 or so players from that region get to go. We ended up serving about 2,000 players last year in our June Scholastic events on the boys' side. And we're hoping to continue to grow that number in the future. I think as a coach, you know, oftentimes, you know, you, you look back in the last 20 years and the recruiting landscape has changed. Uh, recruiting used to be done simply through contact with families and contact with high school coaches. And then obviously, as AAU has grown in influence and in importance, that kind of shifted over the years. And I think sometimes high school coaches take a little bit of a backseat when it comes to recruiting. I know every guy on this panel personally, and I know that's not the case with anybody here, but I, I do think as a high school coach, it's really important to try to take an active role in helping each kid. So like coach had mentioned, you know, sending out your schedule, Hey, this is where we're playing in June for the live period. Here's our open gym schedule. This is our game schedule, sending information on kids, stats, uh, grades, highlight videos and stuff like that. I think all that's really, really important. But I think one of the biggest keys is making sure you try to develop relationships year round. Uh, if the only time I ever call a college coach is when I need something, that relationship's not going to be genuine and it's not going to be built on trust. So making sure that you stay in contact with these college coaches as much as possible, go to their practices, say hi to them in the circuit, check in with them, wish them luck on big games. I think all of that's important. The second thing I think is really important is, you know, working together with AAU coaches to help your kid. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's not about us as coaches. It's about our players. You know, I, I go back uh, 20 years ago uh, when I first started coaching and coach had and I battled in some AAU games and stuff like that. And, and eventually obviously moved on to high school. But I think, you know, making sure you develop relationships with those travel coaches as a head high school coach is really important. Attend your kids games, uh, check in with those coaches, develop relationships with them and work together in partnership to try to, give your kids the best amount of exposure possible. And then the third area, you know, it's always important to make sure you collaborate with their families, 
see what they want, what they're looking for, checking in constantly and always, always serving them to the best of your ability. So I think uh, Coach Monroe kind of led into, but Coach Winters, uh, talk about just the recruitment of the players out west in the Rockford area. Well, I think first of all, you know, you guys touched on a lot of the changes in the landscape over the last 20 years. I, 15 years ago, I'm at Rockford Jefferson. I needed a, a different cell phone just for recruiting stuff. It was just blowing up nonstop. And uh, and we had good players. We didn't have great players. There were, there were people with better players than us. But I think our role as coaches, uh, as high school coaches, has changed. And you really have to work to be active in it. Because back in the day, like Matt said, it would go through us. And now it's just every once in a while we'll get a courtesy call just to make sure our, our kids are, are, you know, everything that they think they are. Um, so if you're not actively uh, participating, like, like, you know, setting out schedules, all these things these guys have said, you'll get easily bypassed in the process. So I think for young coaches coming in, um, you know, they have to really understand. They maybe don't, don't know the whole evolution of that, uh, but they really got to understand they've got to be super active in order to, to keep their kids in the loop. Otherwise, I think the other thing is we've talked about it just with the way the game has grown. Everybody plays now. So there's so many kids that are sending out their highlight films and everything else. And, and you know, like Coach Head said, there's a spot for every kid, but there's a lot of competition. So it's it's almost like, uh, you know, searching for scholarships academically. Like you got to apply, you got to get out there, you got to be active. They're not going to come to you all the time unless you're that elite player. So you got to get out there and go find them. And really just make sure you, you know what the right fit is for your kids. I think Matt touched on, you know, what does a family need or want? Um, because not everything is going to be the right fit. And um, I think educating parents on uh, the fact that, that there's some really good basketball, even at the NAIA level, where they can give money. Um, you know, just I don't think everybody knows uh, the difference between a JUCO Division One, a JUCO Division Two, a JUCO Division Three for starters. Uh, they don't always know the, the limitations in scholarship money at each level. So I think being able to educate your, your parents with that stuff and you really kind of, as a high school coach, you kind of got to leave your ego at the door now because you're not going to be super involved in the process unless you take your, you, like I said, you, you kind of take an active role. You're going to be bypassing that process. But, you know, as Matt says, Coach Ed says, it's about the kids. It's not about us. So um, I think our, our role now is more educating the parents and, and kind of connecting them to people uh, in the process where maybe, uh, you know, every kid's in a different situation in terms of their travel team too. So just knowing you know, which of my kids is, is going to be in good hands in terms of being promoted to schools and which kids are going to need more help. Well, and I think, I do think, I think the travel, the piece is important, but I think coach Ryan Gruber, I think you can speak to still the importance of, you know, we have high school events. You host probably the biggest one um, in the summertime. And, and so kind of just take us through, you know, recruitment from your aspect. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been lucky to, to host an event. We've got a great facility to do so. And, uh, you know, given, you know, as Matt said, I mean, I mean, over the years, I and mean, we're dating back 18, 19 years, I mean, just thousands of kids, the opportunity and been lucky the last couple of years of the live event to do so. Um, you know, one of the things that I... <laughs> I find, and I, I mean, I think everybody has given some some really great advice on the whole process. You know, in addition to to what you know Matt and Terry and every and uh, Mike and everybody has said, um, I feel like I really have to teach my kids how to communicate with coaches. Like they, you know, when it comes to how to respond to this, you know certain ways, the text messages or 
um, you know, making sure they're calling back when a coach, you know, leaves a voicemail. I mean, some, half the time these kids don't even check their voicemail. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I mean, little things like that, that just, you know, I didn't think I'd ever have to, to coach kids up on the, how to communicate. And we've got great kids. We've got some, some, you know, really good players, great kids, but they struggle with communication sometimes when it comes to, to following up with some of that stuff. And, you know, we've got small school kids. We're not, we're not pumping out, you know, division one players and, and things like that year in and year out. And, you know, what, what I really got to make sure that our kids realize is, is a lot of the smaller, the D3s and the NEIs and, and schools like that, they don't have huge recruiting budgets. And if you don't show them interest back, they're not going to show interest in you. They're going to move on um, because they, they've got a, got a lot of kids that they got to look at and, uh, and I really find that sometimes that's a struggle with our kids is just the communication aspect that, that we've been working through. I think, Coach, every, I think that's a generational gap. They all don't know how to talk no more. You got to teach them everything. There's the cell phones and social media. Killed I was going to say, we've all gotten an email from one of our players and you're like, huh, what, <laughs> what happened there? You mean, wait a minute, you guys are trying to tell me that they don't understand how to communicate through Snapchat the same as like in real life? No way. Oh, come on now. Some of, some of them even write like they Snapchatting on Facebook yep. with Sam and you got to change all of that. All right. So we want to, to finish with some fun, quick hitters. Most of them have to do with basketball, but, but in a fun way. Um, so um, we first just, we want to hit on just the bulls, the resurgence of the bulls. I actually want to actually turn my TV on now and watch the bulls, um, which I couldn't say that I wanted to do, uh, in the past. So kind of just take us through, if you guys want a couple, one, two sentences on, uh, hopefully the bulls coming back. Let's start, let's start with Ryan Gruber on this one. You just started with the wrong guy. I haven't watched one second of a Bulls game yet oh, this year. Come on now. I'm, oh, I'm not a huge NBA fan, man. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm I love college basketball. I'm, yeah, I, don't, I don't like the NBA, man. I hate I'm it. I'm not a big NBA guy, so like I, I haven't watched a second of a Bulls game. Uh, I am taking my uh, seven-year-old son though on December. I think it's December 19th against the Lakers, so. I will see a game then, but I don't know if I'll watch any between now and then, to be honest with you. We could have just had Coach Tucker just take 15 minutes and go through all of everything that had to do with the Bulls. It'd Coach be a lot longer than 15 minutes if it's about the Bulls. Yeah, that's true. I've seen a little bit. I know they better find a big, and they're not going to be able to play the way they're playing all the time. They gotta, they're pressing and they're running a lot. They're not going to be able to do that for 82. They're going to run out of gas. Winters, Monroe, you got anything on the Bulls for us? You know, I grew up in the Jordan Pippen era, so I, I quit watching about 97, 98 and haven't watched. D-Rose got me back a little bit for a while. Um, I, I, I'm intrigued this year. I mean, it's it's nice to be able to, to have it as an option, but I'm just a huge college fan. I'll watch, yeah. I'll watch any college game, um, even, yeah. you know, low D1 stuff, that whatever whatever they, they throw on the TV that night, I'll pick that first usually. Yeah, uh, I'm like these guys. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Yeah, I'm like I'm like these guys. I, my favorite basketball to watch is high school basketball. Um, I could watch film on huddle uh, for hours upon hours, but I will say um, I, I'm a little bit an outlier here. I do really enjoy the NBA uh, and college basketball, but I, I don't watch it so much from a fan's perspective. I try to pick up ideas and stuff for our team. But I will say um, if the Bulls are good, I think that's good for basketball in Chicago in general because it peaks 
uh, a child's interest more. Maybe they pursue basketball more frequently than maybe other sports. And I think that that helps grow the game. I had a, my yearly physical the other day, and the first thing my doctor talked about was the Bulls. So you know that basketball is in um, the dialogue, you know, more frequently than it was before since the Bulls are, are better. So hopefully that, that piques interest. Like we all grew up in the Jordan era, and I would guess to say that a lot of that had a big influence on why we got into playing and why we got into coaching. And hopefully that uh, excites the next generation in, in regards to playing basketball. So, Coach, well, I mean, I'll, I'll tweak a little bit. I, you know, I'm sure you obviously – I don't know if the Bulls are big. Uh, but, like, you know, obviously it's a different dynamic with pro sports teams down there. So maybe your kids down there, what, what are the, some of the teams down there that they're looking at? Are they looking at Bulls? Are they looking at somebody else? Um, you know, because, you, you know, there's, there's St. Louis. There's all that kind of stuff down there. Yeah, well, you know, McLeansboro, I grew up in McLeansboro. It's only 20 minutes away, the home of Jerry Sloan. So everybody, okay, there's a lot of right. jazz fans yeah. here, you know, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, and Doug Collins with the Bulls, you know, he's a Benton mm-hmm. guy. So um, yeah. that, that's a connection to the Bulls. But honestly, the, the NBA is more, it's more player driven here. Like my guys, they'll talk about LeBron and Steph and those guys more than a team just because of, we're so geographically. I mean, I, honestly, if I probably pulled my guys, their favorite player is probably John ja Moran because we're only three hours from Memphis. So they love Ja. Uh, well, before we move on, shout out to Chicago Sky on winning their championship. So, all right, let's transition here. Coach Weinman, we'll start with you. Uh, any any pregame superstitions, food, something you got to do? What What is pregame superstitions? <laughs> Boy, that – I don't know. I guess we're all weird. I mean, everybody's got their <laughs> you are, thing. You're right about that. <laughs> everybody's got their thing that they do. My My – I've done this ever since I started coaching, even when I was at Forston and Mike was at Oregon 20 years ago. I mean, that's how long that's been. Um, I, I never, I always take the pin out of my pocket and hand it to my assistant. I don't know why I started doing that. He thinks it's so I don't throw it, but I, I, that's just kind of our thing before the game, right before the tip. I'll he's take probably the, right. He's probably right. I'll take the expo out of my pocket and hand it to him. So, um, you know, just, I'm like everybody else. I got it. We never change our routine. And um, it starts when at the end of the halftime of the JV game, you go in and write stuff on the board and, and just those kind of things, but nothing too crazy. I don't guess. Well, the biggest question is how many expos you have because everybody's been there where you get the expo and it don't work. And you're like, Hey, who's got the, who's got the other expo. Right. Or when you put 25 in your bag and your assistants continually take them and then you can't find one and and you want to, you want to kill those guys when that happens when you know but yeah or it's dried up absolutely yep. so yeah for sure uh coach head what are your pregame superstitions uh home game i always have to sweep the floor before uh warm up so you know we get out of school at 308 and at 310 i'm like actually sweeping the dust mop on the floor making sure and i gotta have a you know to make sure everything's set. that's just my thing you know we had a janice come in and do it but I got to sweep the floor just because that's what I've been doing since day one when I was coaching. I'm um, always got to have a piece of candy before the game starts. You always notice I always got a little snack right by Because <laughs> I'd be having nervous, I'd be a nervous wreck. So that candy, little piece of candy helped me calm down a little bit. And uh, every every game, man, we always, always give me a, some type of, if my wife don't, you know, whatever she don't cook for dinner, everything, I always get like a little sandwich or something. Because you beat me. I don't know if you've ever been 
coaching the game, man. It's a real good game. All of a sudden, you, you get home, you're like, dang, I'm hungry than mother. <laughs> you looking around, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. So, so I try to make sure I have some type of meal before that game, but I got to sweep my – the biggest thing is sweeping my floor on, hang, on home games, you know. Uh, away games, I really like using my pods now. So I'm using the iPods, and I got to listen to some old school house music or Jay-Z. Those, that's my listening music to get me pumped up for the game. Um, I'm a house head, so that or some Jay-Z, that's it. All right, Coach Ryan Gruber, what do you got? Nothing major, kind of like Ryan, a little bit here where, I mean, my biggest thing is probably I try to, we do some, especially when we're at home, we do a lot of our pregame stuff uh, during, uh, before the sophomore game and right, you know, the beginning of the first quarter, I usually try to get in there for the second quarter. And then once, once they come up from half, I, I usually head down to the locker room in the third quarter. It's kind of just me just gathering my thoughts and reviewing any last second things I need to review and, and then go talk to the team at the beginning of the fourth quarter. But it's usually that just third quarter where I find myself and, uh, and just kind of locking in, zoning in a little bit, but nothing major other than that. Coach Morrell. Uh For those of you that know me, you probably would not be surprised that I got a few things <laughs> that, um, that I do that kind of, um, you know, given the routine of a game, but kind of what coach had said, you know, he, he mentioned about, you know, doing these things to not get nervous before a game. And I think, you know, there's a difference between having the butterflies and being like worried about losing, um, going into a game. I'm happy that I feel butterflies because it means I still care and that I'm still invested. If I ever go into a game and I don't have some butterflies then I know that maybe it's time to, to hang up my whistle. So I think that's a good thing. Um, as long as, you know, it doesn't hurt your confidence. You could have confidence and have butterflies at the same time. But some of the things that I, I do, um, I, like Mike, uh, at the end of halftime, I always go in the back, uh, myself and one of my assistants, and we write down everything on the board and we get everything uh, scripted out that we're going to talk about in our pregame. And I usually go watch the sophomores. But, you know, once we get into our pregame talk, we're very um, organized in terms of who says what during the games. We always end with one of our assistants, Coach Dudzik, given the final words to kind of pump up the team, we get out there on the floor. But once we get on the floor, I cannot have anything in my pockets except for a marker in my right pocket. I cannot, I have to clear all my pockets, get everything out, put my cell phone away. Um, I have to write my initial on my water bottle uh, cap so I don't share my water bottle with anybody. And then once the game starts, um, I every single time I, I say, let's go. And I have to slap everybody's hand on the bench. And I don't feel like I could start coaching unless I do all those things. Um, so, you know, we all got a routine, but it's part of competition, right? Coach Winters. Yeah, nothing, nothing really major. Um, I don't, you know, I'm hungry during, during the game coach Ed, cause I don't eat on game day a whole lot, man. I, I'll eat breakfast, but even after 500 some games, I still don't eat a lot. It's those butterflies that coach Monroe talked about a little bit. Um, I, I fear losing more than anything. So I, I in my mind, I've, I've, I've listened, I've figured out like 300 different ways we're going to lose that game that night. You know what I mean? I've gone through all that stuff and I just don't eat that day. And then afterwards I eat everything in sight after the game. And, uh, but I don't, I don't know. I've got some, I, I'm quirky with the scorebook. Like I, I'll use the same pen for as long as we're on a winning streak, it's gotta be the same pen, same color ink, all that stuff. And as soon as we lose, I throw it out and go get a different pen. Like um, that's, I don't know. That's kind of weird. That's just something yeah. I always do. Um, I never touch the scorebook. I never touch the, I never, I never touch the scorebook. Cause I'm like, that's bad luck. If nobody's around, <laughs> okay, that's... I, I never touch the scorebook, man. That's like bad luck. Man. I never do that. See, I got, I got, I got that is one thing I do as well with the pen. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's weird or not, but that's just something I, it's something I always do. Um, I, I'm always, I got to touch every kid before the game, you know, fist bumps and everybody, I think they get sick of it, but that's just kind of um, just being connected. And, and it, it gives me a chance to kind of look them in the eye right before the game and see where they're at and, and all that stuff. But uh, for me, the, that, that 15, 20 minute warm up is like the longest period in the history of the world. Like I just sit there and I look up the clock and like, it's, we seriously have 15 minutes to go still. And I'm just, I can't sit still. So it's, it, you know, like I said, I, I've coached over 500 varsity games now. And it, it, that stuff doesn't change. Yeah, time moves so slow when you're waiting for that game to start. I just sit there. I try to think and visualize what's going to happen in the game. Um, but it doesn't always work out. It, it works out in my head. But, right. um, yeah, that, that, that time in between, you just want that ball to be thrown up and, and, and start playing. Well, then you, you're in the locker room. You come back out, and it's like, you know, 54 to 54. And you're like, oh, is this game going to go to overtime? <laughs> I got to, I got to come on now. Let's go. All right. So I do want to pivot, but before I pivot guys, just cause I like to have a little fun, uh, Todd, I want to know your pregame superstitions. Uh, I got to stand in the same spot for Anthem. Oh, every time. All right. I'll like fight. I'll fight for it. I like box people up. Like, no, you gotta go. Gotta go. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. My two is I can, and my assistants make fun of me, but I cannot talk about any future opponent it literally has to be one game at a time like you can't even mention the next opponent like I won't even have the conversation I'll like just stop it to the point where if we're playing somebody that's not very good and our next game is somebody very good my assistants will literally start talking to me about the next opponent in this handshake line afterwards he'll look at me and say can I talk about him now so that's mine I, I never want to look past anybody else um, all right, real fun question for you guys. We only have two left, but real fun question. Either your favorite gym that you've ever coached in that's not your own, so like one where you weren't the home coach, or the best opposing crowd you've ever played against. And we will start with this one with Coach Winters. Oh, man, a lot of really good ones because I'm old. But Quincy, uh, Quincy is an environment unlike any other if you ever had the chance to play down there. Um, the, the gym is, is cool. The gym is one of my favorite gyms is Ottawa. Uh, when I was in the NCIC at Rock Falls, Ottawa's got a really cool old gym. But Quincy, the environment, the fans, it's, uh, uh, it's just a different level. All right, Coach Ryan Weinmiller. Uh, I, I'm with Mike. We've got a lot of cool gyms down here. Um, uh, man, I, you can't beat just the history of going to Peenyville and playing. Uh, that's a that's a cool gym, and you know you're going to play a really good team when you get there. Uh, so, so I, I'm going to say Peenyville. But you know, there's some old gyms that have been closed uh, in the last ten years down here that are that are really cool old barns too. So they just don't build them like they used to anymore. I mean, they build those PE gyms now, and they're not true basketball gyms. So I, I really like the old gyms for sure. All right, Coach Ryan Gruber. Yeah, I, uh, I haven't got to coach in, at Argo as a head coach, but I think Argo is a, is a great gym. Um, you know, we, when I was an assistant, we played in sectional there, and I've watched many great sectional games there over the years. I, I just think that's a really good gym. And, again, not as a head coach, but as a, as a lower-level coach at St. Pat's where, where Matt was before uh, – you know, before Ignatius is an, is an awesome old gym and Notre Dame up in Niles. Um, you know, I can go on and on with, with uh, some of my favorite gyms around, but but those those are three of the best, I think. Coach Hutt? 
Um, I got three real quick. One is uh, as uh, being in Michelle Clark, we had to go play Western House at Western House. Man, that game was amazing. Uh, walked in the gym is standing room only. You know, that the new gym, not the old gym. The new gym. Um, I'm I'm gonna agree with you, Mike uh, Reinberger. Hey, going at Foreman High School, we had to play St. Pat's at St. Pat's in the uh, regional championship. Man, I love that game, man. The fans are like right in your ear yelling at you. And that, as a player, man, I played at uh, Weber High School, man. I don't know the old Weber High School gym. Man, that's the, probably one of the best gyms I've ever seen. I love that gym. So those are my three best gyms. Coach Monroe? Um, one of my favorite gyms to go to is at Waukegan High School. Uh, a kid I, I coached at AU was real good. Uh, played against Terry's teams. Jeremy Richmond played there. I used to go up there a lot to, to support him and watch their team playing. And, and I'll never forget, um, you know, how packed that place was in sections. Jeremy actually hit a half court shot to win the game one year. And uh, that place was rocking. It was one of the loudest uh, I've ever heard a crowd. And, and so I agree with Ron, those older gyms are in my mind, the coolest, you know, St. Ignatius has a unique gym in St. Pat's where I was before. And a lot of the schools you guys mentioned, I think the gyms with a lot of character are the best ones to be in. Just curious, Todd, you got a favorite? So, I actually like uh, St. Ed's gym, just kind of old school gym. The fans are up on top of you. Um, but when I was when I was playing, it was Proviso East. That was always something. Proviso East was a something. When you went there, I was I kind of went there the 2000, 99-2000s when D Brown and Shannon Brown and Stephen Hart were there, and it was it, it was it was it was an intimidating place to go when you, when you played as a player. All right, I just want to throw out, I was going to say St. Ed, so Todd stole, man. I do, I, as the coach at Rez, I, do, I also do like Pats. I love any Pats-Notre Dame game. For anybody that's never seen a Pats-Notre Dame game, it's an atmosphere unlike any other. And to be honest, I have a weird shout-out one, which is the upstairs gym at St. Ignatius. For anybody that's ever <laughs> gone to, like, where the freshmen play upstairs, it literally overlooks the city. It is the coolest gym view. It's, like, windows on all sides. It's really cool, so... We've had Wilson basketball and the Chicago Bulls film commercials there in the last two years because it's such a cool place. All right, so last one we got for you, and this probably has to go with Coach Weinmiller and throwing throwing the but throwing the marker, but like shirt and tie suit or or casual guy when when you're coaching. I know I couldn't wear a coat because I'd probably take it off and get mad and chuck it somewhere. But uh, we'll start with Coach Winters. Uh, Pre-COVID, I think I was definitely, I used to be old school shirt and tie. Pre-COVID, I was kind of, kind of evolved into just the, the, the shirt with no tie and the jacket. And uh, now I'm wondering if we're ever going to go back to that. You know, I'm watching right. NBA games and, and they're still wearing the, the quarter zips and, and all that stuff. And I don't know if, if they'll ever put the shirt and tie back on. So I haven't really decided this year what I'm going with. I think, uh, I think I'll probably dress up a little more than they do still. Um, I'm just, I think because I'm grateful to have the opportunity back again, that I'm going to go back to treating it the way I did before. Coach Ron Gruber? Um, yeah, I, I was always a shirt and tie guy, never uh, never a sport coat, but uh, I think definitely uh, throughout the last year, definitely going to probably continue with the the polos and the quarter zips and, and head in that direction for, for a chunk of the year, probably more than I ever did before, and maybe go more like Coach Winter said with maybe just the button down and, and nice khakis something. I think we're going back to a tie, though. Coach Monroe? Uh, I wear a tie all day at school, so that's kind of like my casual. 
so I'm a quarter zip and a tie guy. Um, everyone makes fun of me because uh, I don't have, I have one suit jacket. I wore it one time when I interviewed at St. Ignatius. So I don't go that route. I just go quarter zip, tie, and uh, dress pants, and that's about it. Coach Ed, what are you rocking this year? I know this oh, answer. Oh, <laughs> well, I got a secret, man. If I, if I go, if we, God bless us, if we go downstate, I'm getting a yellow gold two-piece. Love it. Sweet. But I normally wear, it, it depends upon, you know, if I, it depends upon my outfit. Sometimes I, wear, I might wear a jogging suit. Like, you know, we might wear, uh, I try to be as comfortable as possible. I'm not wearing a tie. That's not, I mean, that's not going to happen. We'll, I wear a polo, uh, three-quarter zip. Uh, we are trying to get a little bit more fancy. My coaches, sister coaches want to wear sweater vests. So we're thinking about sweater vests, but I'm not ever wearing a tie. And um, I'll never wear a suit jacket. Man, I'll burn up in that thing, man. No. Coach Wine Miller? I'm with Coach Ryan Gruber. I don't know that we'll ever go back to what, suits and ties every game. Down here, there's a lot of suits and ties, but – my wife just told me the other day, she said, we got $10,000 in suits and ties. We're not going to sleeve them in the, in the, in the closet. So probably Friday suits and tie any other night, we're probably going uh, just a quarter zip. Well, gentlemen, we, we can't thank you enough for, for jumping on with us. This was awesome. Uh, talk to you guys, get a little, get a little preview ahead of you guys season. We wish you guys best of luck, uh, best, best of health for all your players, your families, you guys. Um, and again, can't can't thank you guys enough for jumping on with us. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Plicky. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out of the game, and anything in between.